welcome to the Thoughts Podcast. Today, a podcast host, a pastor, and a former brain scientist walk into a bar, and the host asks, am I just my brain? This month, we've escaped my kitchen, but we've still not made it to a real bar. Today's Thought Bar is a pop-up graciously hosted in our guest kitchen. So let's get going and we can get to know her, otherwise we're honestly being very rude. Welcome to the Thought Bar. I'm afraid you'll have to buy your own drink. Well, welcome to episode five. This is exciting. And it's an exciting occasion as well. It's the first time ever that the Thought Bar has gone on the road. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Sharon, for hosting us. Yes. Pleasure. As always, I am Louise. I have not changed. I'll be hosting the podcast. I'm joined, as ever, by Andy Wadhams, pastor of Gallery Church in Birmingham. Hello. Privileged to be here on tour now with the podcast. On tour? Have you got more dates booked that I don't know about? Uh, I'm assuming you've got them sorted in somewhere, in somehow. Cool. I'll uh, get on to that. It's a tour. If we did a tour t-shirt, there'd just be one date at the back. Yeah. I feel like we should do that. <laughs> we should. It'd be quite fun, wouldn't it? It would. <laughs> and nobody else will know what we're talking about. But it'd be a lovely in-joke for us. And welcome to, to Sharon Dirks, although it's a bit weird welcoming you into your own home, it has to be said. <laughs> uh, Sharon is an author, speaker, and an adjunct lecturer at OCA, which is the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. She has a background in brain imaging, so it's going to be interesting to see how she brings those two aspects together. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you for having me. Well, I mean, the first question really is, what does adjunct lecturer mean? What's that in, uh, in the world? Oh, it means that I'm um, friends, very much friends with the ministry and um, the team at OCA, and uh, I kind of occasionally join them to to speak uh, on different things that they're they're working on. Gotcha, gotcha. It just helps me. I mean, all the listeners knew that. Louise knew that. You knew that. Just helps me out. Well, I'm glad we could help you out. <laughs> Thanks. It's time for a game. Today we're playing. Is it science? How this works is, I might turn this on its head. Okay. How this works is, I'm going to give you three objects and I will give you 30 seconds each to argue why this object is or isn't. I say object, it might be a concept. Uh, oh, why great. this object or concept is or isn't inherently scientific. So, <laughs> is it science? Yeah, and let me guess, let me guess, I get the difficult run again every time, here we go. Well, I thought I might ask you to argue that things are science today. Oh no, that's much more uncomfortable for me. <laughs> We've actually got professional scientists in the room and on the podcast. Oh, I don't know. No, switch it back round. Are you expecting me to contribute Ooh, here? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, interesting. Yes. So okay. you'll, you will also have 30 seconds <laughs> oh, to argue good. that these objects are not science oh no you have to define science first I, this is hard this is going to be hard like, scientifically speaking we need to know what we're talking about right <laughs> well, this is can be you difficult. link it into science in any way can you exclude it from various scientific concepts okay. Um, okay. all right this is wow. not a task in science a task in creativity the, that's, that's exactly the only way i stand a chance <laughs> <laughs> So, we'll yeah. start with Andy. Oh, here we go. Right. So, why is... Why is... ...a beanbag science go? Well, the beanbag, of course, is the end product of many scientific practices. And in this 30 seconds that I have, I'd like to detail them to you. One is the need for rest that we have found through natural understanding, and it's been backed up by science. And so our body says, I need to rest, and so we 
invented the beanbag. But we had wooden chairs or rocks previously. We needed something much more comfortable than those. And so science has given us polyester that gives us beanbags. <laughs> I think we have to discount anything that was said after the whistle. Oh, uh, <laughs> there's not much then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was beautiful. Um, Sharon, you also have 30 seconds, but I need you to argue why a beanbag is not science. Your time well, starts now. Okay, I was all set for the scientific answer, but thank, thanks for throwing me off, you know. Um, but, I mean, the, the beanbag is... I mean, you're not going to find it in laboratory, are you? I mean, scientists work pretty hard. There's a whole competition of who can work the longest hours, get the grant applications in and so on. So there's really no space for beanbags in a laboratory. Secondly, it's, you know, it's something you sit on and it's not... I mean, you can discuss the, the scientific components that have gone into it, but yeah. <laughs> and we're done. Well, oh dear. I think we've learned some unhealthy Ooh. parts about science, <laughs> science life there. <laughs> yeah. But we'll reward those at least with a point. I'm giving that one to Sharon. Oh, right. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> I like the idea of, you know, in Google started doing corporate offices. There's yes. beanbags and sleep pods. That's not made it way to the academic science fields yet. Well, I don't know. I mean, I haven't yeah. been in no. the world of science for over, over 10 years. But, okay. um, <laughs> but you make a good point because, you know, the importance of rest for mm. kind of your brain, you know, rest and sleep, getting rid yeah, of yeah, yeah, toxins yeah, yeah. and all kinds of things. And ideas come when you're not actually trying to think about the thing itself. It's when you're out for a run or Tell doing something it. else. Like so if someone Google says, why is a beanbag thing. science? And you're desperately trying to think about that. Right. But later on in the day... You come up with a brilliant, a answer. You'll be ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can put that in as bonus material in the next episode. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've just signed up for that then. Indeed. Okay. Next object goes to Sharon first. Just switch okay, it around. Pressure, pressure. So I want to know why a mint imperial is not Ooh. science. Go. Um, why it's not? Why are you giving me all the why it's not science? I mean, this is like you brought me on as a scientist. Anyway, um, why is a mint imperial not science? Because it is something that you eat kind of because you've done too much science and it's actually you haven't had a chance to clean your teeth and so actually a mint imperial exactly the thing that you need but it's not yeah I mean it's not kind of science itself it's just something that you eat at the science right time adjacent science adjacent there's <laughs> a thought yeah all right Andy good effort good effort with no time whatsoever <laughs> why is a mint imperial science well, I mean, first of all, yeah. it's in the name, isn't it? Imperial. And um, there are some measurements that are imperial. I don't know if you guys know this. Um, they're called the imperial measurements. And so already the name leans towards that vibe. But of course, I would put it in the social sciences, much maligned social sciences category. Um, and it's the need for community and community to go well. And we need mints for community to go well because we've all had that conversation with someone and it's not been pleasant. So it's social a, science. A lot of kickback against Western imperialism, though. So, I mean, what does that uh, mean oh. for the mint? <laughs> Get into the poor mint. The, uh, We're going to have to rename mint. that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's coming if it's not already happened. Well, having studied uh, language and linguistics, I'm uh, very partial to your defence yeah? of the social sciences. Okay. So uh, that's a point to Andy. Come on. I didn't realise, just to charm you. Yeah, oh, that's, oh, play that's to different. your audience, come yeah, on. You are the points giver. <laughs> All right, the, All right. Des the decider. The decider. I'm so sorry. It's 
fine. Andy, here we, go. we start with you. Okay, right. Why is the enjoyment of this lovely cup of coffee a scientific endeavour? Go. Well, it's great to have Sharon with us today. And I mean, even Sharon might learn from my answer in 30 seconds about the receptors in the brain saying, oh, I like the taste of this. This is good. This makes me feel good. It releases, I think they're called endolphins. They swim around the brain. And uh, when you have some coffee, it's really wonderful what happens in my head. And so without going too much into it for the listener, it's a whole bucket of science in this cup of coffee. Or a mug. Cool. Uh, Wonderful. What did we think about endolphins? I mean, (laughs) no, I mean, lovely thought. Lovely thought. Hello, you guys. Any N whales joining in? Oh, we could do a whole whole safari. There's a whole safari up there. Now that's a children's book we could do. That sounds fantastic. Mm. I'd read it. Yeah. Um, Sharon, why is the enjoyment of this lovely cup of coffee not science? Go. Because science is an exploration of reality and coffee helps you to do that, but it isn't the science itself, I guess. I think that that's what I would say. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I like that. Succinct, 10 seconds. <laughs> oh, I'm torn. I'm so torn. I love, I love the succinctness. But and the factual nature of what Sharon nature. said. <laughs> yeah. I also love the endolphins. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love those? And that's a good I'm going to give the point to Andy. <gasps> yeah, I mean, I didn't really milk moment. it, did I? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding on. I'm just trying to, trying to stay upright here. I've, I've won one. This is a miracle. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. And as we have discovered, the majority of things in life are, in fact, science. Yes. Which gives us a fair basis to talk about the rest of the podcast, probably. Oh, yeah. Come on now, this is good. So, Sharon... Let's get into a bit of your background. We've invited you here. It's only really fair to, to get <laughs> into some of your story, really. When you say invited you here, you okay. mean the virtual space, don't uh, yeah, you? Yeah, to, to the podcast. <laughs> you very much invited us here. Thank to you the so much space. for being at your own house today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, tell us a little bit about your time in brain imaging. Yeah, oh, so interesting. Yeah, well, um, so I, well, I guess my journey starts a little bit before that as well. Um, yeah. That I didn't start out life. Uh, as a Christian. You didn't just arrive in a lab either, presumably. No, I didn't just arrive (laughs) in a lab. Um, I do often find myself praying for teleportation as a mother. But um, but no, I didn't just sort of find myself waking up conscious one day in in a brain imaging lab. Um, But um, so I I, uh, did an undergraduate in biochemistry uh, that I started uh, as an agnostic. and actually, quite early on in my very first week, actually had been asking the, the God science question at an event called Grilla Christian, which obviously has nothing to do with barbecuing, although they did used to barbecue <laughs> like, Christians. Back in the day, yeah. Back in the day, else, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, I, you know, I had kind of asked the question, surely you can't believe in God and be a, mm. uh, a credible scientist at the same time. And I was kind of given the answer that yes you can it's a little bit like asking people to choose between bill gates and programming languages as the explanation for microsoft office and Mm. 
you know, you think about that for one second and realize you don't need to choose between these two kinds of explanation. They are right. very different, but they run in parallel together. So and together they give a more complete understanding of Microsoft Office. If you try and understand it just in terms of the programming languages, you end up with a diminished view of Office. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the natural world and belief in God. Yeah. You know, um, just um, studying the underlying mechanisms of nature is fabulous and I love it and I loved it. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't necessarily a being who started it all Mm. and set it all in motion and continues to uphold it today. And so so I had that kind of question answered in week one of my biochemistry degree. And I spent the next 18 months kind of grilling a lot more Christians and asking a lot more questions and actually about halfway through changed my beliefs and became a follower of Jesus. Wow. Like just all the upheaval at once. Like, I'm going to leave home. Yeah. I'm going to start a degree. And yeah, I'll just, I'll just become a Christian while I'm at it. Do, do everything yeah. at once. Just do yeah. it all at once. Well, it wasn't all at once. It, it was like a two-year process, <laughs> okay. I would say. And it was probably probably started way before I even arrived there. Mm. I, I was kind of part of a youth group as a teenager, but I wasn't like properly yes, invested yeah. as a Christian. You said, uh, um, you said um, agnostic there, so that means that you weren't... You, probably hadn't thought about being an atheist and almost you'd just absorbed. I've heard you mention that before. Right, exactly. A kind of worldview. Yeah. Um, and so based on what you'd seen and heard, you kind of accept that and then you go to unpack it a bit more yes. as you go to this Gorilla Christian event. Well, exactly. I think it was simply that I hadn't thought through my beliefs in any detail whatsoever right, except right. to say that I had absorbed the view that you just... C- science and God are not compatible and because wow. I knew I was a scientist I actually knew that I wanted to do a PhD in my teenage years I didn't mm. really know what in but I knew that I wanted to drill down into something and so because I knew I was a scientist and I, I'd absorbed the view that science and God were not compatible wow. I just sort of God was just off the radar how do you f- looking back now that's quite sad isn't it that that mm. would be presented to the, the nation I suppose or, or yes. whatever how do you feel about that um yeah, I feel I do feel sad. I mean, I was I grew up in the northeast of England. Right. I don't remember that. I mean, as a as a Christian and as an apologist, an evangelist, I get to mm. go into schools and universities and um, business settings and d- different. Uh, places of work and and speak to people about this but I don't ever remember there being such a thing when I was growing up and when I heard that response at this Grilla Christian I remember thinking this is rocket science wow. I like I've never literally never heard anything like that it wasn't wow. a complicated answer but it unlocked something for me and it opened up a whole vista so powerful for me to explore yeah, it's that little perspective shift that actually makes mm. a huge difference. Yeah, it does. And how many, yeah. how, you know, how many young people right. are growing up in the nation are thinking that? Right, and actually you don't wake up one day and decide, I'm going to get a belief system today. No, no. You actually, <laughs> yeah. you actually absorb it from radio, from, mm. well, now from TikTok and Instagram and, yeah. um, and um, all the other types of, media, YouTube, uh, books, magazines, yeah. newspapers. You actually absorb your views from from there yeah. without thinking. You're being fed 
things. And now you've got algorithms feeding you things based on what you're already looking at. And you end up with quite a narrow perspective on the world. It can can seem like because we've got the whole of the internet and the whole of social media at our fingertips that we've Mm. got this vast amount of information, but algorithms are actually forcing you down an increasingly narrow perspective. Great observations. Access to all that information, but getting to it might not be as easy as you would think. So let's um, backtrack a little bit. We're at university. Yes. You've decided you're a Christian now. Where do we go from here? Well, I completed my degree and then I went to spend a year in industry. Now, when at the, in the third year of my degree, there were some friends who were um, doing a physics final year project just down the, the corridor from my, my chem lab. And they were using this thing called MRI, magnetic Ooh. resonance imaging, which is a, um, a way of looking inside the human body without needing to cut into it. And okay. that's why it's so revolutionary. Now people have brain scans, they have mm. knee scans, hip scans, or whatever it might be. And of course, you know, you can get this beautiful 3D image uh, without any kind of invasion. And that's why it's so helpful. Um, my friends were using a piece of a, a equipment that was pretty much held together by duct tape, it looked like. <laughs> um, but I, I was fascinated with this whole thing. And I, I went to uh, a year in industry uh, in, in Switzerland, actually, lived in Basel for a year. And there I got to do some MRI as an intern and then look for a PhD, which landed me in Cambridge, which then uh, led me into a brain imaging lab in Cambridge. So I ended up working at a time when functional MRI, so instead of just looking at the structure of the brain, we were looking Mm. at um, the activity that the brain has when you give a person a particular task to do inside a scanner. Mm. And I was looking at um, the kind of... uh, the kind of the methodology of that, how the signal is impacted if the subject does this or does that. Mm. Um, not a very interesting PhD. I wouldn't actually recommend that you read yeah. it. But this is where we're looking at a picture of the brain and they get a particular job or thought or shown a picture and you can see the activity yes. in the brain, yes. which area of the brain is triggered and yes. responds. Exactly. Wow. Now, scientists used to talk about regions. Now they talk about networks. Uh, so it's all okay. about networks mm. because all kinds of areas from across the brain can be recruited for a particular uh-huh. tasks. There's actually a project now. You know about the Human Genome Project, which was to map yeah. all and the, the function of every gene in the human body uh-huh. and yeah. sequence it. Well, there's now the Human Connectome Project, which is to establish... The connection, all the neural pathways in the human brain. I mean, imagine that. Wow. That's a big wow. project, isn't it? And of course, at, uh, at the Thought Podcast, you will always hear about the cutting-edge science uh, stuff going on. Have I said that right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what did well, you call we, well, that? we have this time. The Connectome. The Human Connectome Project. Whoa. Fantastic. Yeah, they've not. I've, they've not checked my emails, so they've not asked me on that. They so. haven't yet. No. no, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> I'm sure. Exactly. This, time. this will be the podcast that launches your career oh, in brain wow. science. Oh gosh, imagine poor scientific community. <laughs> well, they need to know the outliers as well, though, don't they? So, oh, I can help in that realm. That's a lovely way of saying you're different, doesn't it? <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell would be pleased. Fantastic. So, <clears throat> working in brain science, did you find that people? 
typically spend a lot of time thinking about brain and identity? Mm. So here's the paradox for me. Um, Quite early on when I started out as an apologist, which came about 10 years after I um, started my PhD, um, someone asked me that question and I, I remember thinking, I haven't actually discussed God and science with scientists all that often. I mean, I had plenty of conversations about faith in general, faith in God. My husband and I met in a brain imaging lab, by the way. Sorry, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> That's where? fantastic. Sorry? In a brain imaging lab. In Cambridge? In Cambridge. So it's a beautiful... <laughs> It was a beautiful sunset in Cambridge. There was a golden hue over the streets. Conversation and outside drinking and chatter could be heard. And somewhere, beautifully, in a brain imaging lab, romantically two people... We're meeting for Locked the first eyes time. across the MRI. Yeah, sure. It, was, it wasn't actually like that, but yeah. Um. <laughs> of everything happening Indulgence. in Cambridge at that time, romance sparked in the brain imaging lab. Come on, man, that's actually really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so um, at, the, at that point, um, well, we were just kind of two two Christians in this lab and lots of people who didn't believe in God. So we had lots of conversations mm. about belief in God and the person of Jesus, often like two-hour lunch breaks. That's the amazing thing about being a PhD student. Um, but actually, it wasn't that people came up and said, you know, we're studying the, the natural world, the human brain. How on earth can people believe in God when you do that? Mm. And I, I remember ask, thinking to myself, why is that the case? That even though I've been a full-time scientist, but the question God and science comes up kind of in schools and mm. amongst philosophers and kind of outside the scientific realm. And I think it's because scientists are just... They love what they do. They're studying the natural world mm. and they just kind of get on with it. Um, yeah. And in some ways, it maybe they just think, well, because this is so hauling together and, and covering extraordinary yeah. things, how could there possibly be another explanation for, for why this is all happening? Mm. How, you know, it just has been my experience that scientists have not asked me this question. I have encountered it outside of wow. the lab. Funny drop-off. We noticed that, didn't we, We when we first went to Faraday Institute? Yeah, no, no scientists asking questions there at all. No, no. well, the idea that um, there was no contradiction, there was no battle, uh, yeah, there was absolutely. no, you know, and then somehow you get back to the education I received and there's a, what you can you know, just absorb this idea that there is a contradiction and a challenge. Yes. And we exist to sit in that realm and hopefully yeah. add some accessibility. Provoke it and yeah, a little kind bit, of ask I think some so. questions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Apologist. Oh, I don't want to jump yeah. ahead, Lou, I think, sorry. I think you're jumping back, which is ideal, because that's what I was going to do. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, apologists then, so you felt, did you feel compelled that there's a need for this, or good reasons to be out there, or, or how did that come about? Yeah, well, that came about when I went to do a postdoc in right. cocaine addiction in the US. Yeah, we, well, we've all done one of those, so you don't need to go into, <laughs> into that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and so what wow. happened there is that I was doing this kind of fairly interesting research, but it was pretty hard going. Um, but what was happening at the same time was I found myself having conversations about the Christian faith with the vast majority of my colleagues in, in mm. this lab. Yeah. Um, and and I began to sort of ask the question, why is that? What, what What's happening there? Um, and I, yeah, at the same time at my local church, I, I met this lady who 
has what you, some you know what you might say is kind of the gift of an evangelist that she mm. has this ability to share the Christian faith with people in a really natural way, mm. and actually a lot of people that she's talked to have changed their beliefs, and so wow. I began to wonder whether I I was actually an evangelist, okay, as well, even yeah. though I was studying cocaine addiction. So something, something was stirring in you. <laughs> evangelist for exactly. cocaine? No, or... <laughs> no, quite the opposite. Yes, yeah. um, so. And so that led me to um, look into options to study that in some way, which led me back here to Oxford about 18 years ago when I mm. studied on what was Ocker's very first year, its inaugural year, I guess, um, studying evangelism and apologetics. Now, we I don't really like the word apologetics anymore, even though I did use it myself mm. here. But it's basically, uh, it's the idea of kind of giving reasons or answers to people as to why you believe what you believe. A lot of people know what they believe, mm. but they don't always know why. Right. And yeah. so it's just kind of trying to unpack that. And the the word in, in Greek that you find in the New Testament, it's a bit like giving um, a reasoned defense, a bit like you would in a court yes. of law. Yeah. It's not apologizing, mm. although Christians do have to do quite a bit of apologizing yeah, along true. the way. Yeah, and yeah. we definitely need to be upfront about the things that we're really sorry about. Mm. Um, so that's, re- that's like Peter writing that, isn't it? Always be Peter, ready to give a defense, I Always suppose, ready to give a, a reason to anyone who asks... Uh, sorry, always be ready to give an answer, an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you the have. The hope that you have. It's beautiful, beautiful. But do this with gentleness and respect. And it's the Greek yeah. word for answer that is apologia. Brilliant. Yeah, so what do you say yeah. now then? If you're not into the apologetic as a word, apologetic. Well, it depends who I'm speaking to. Yeah, and if yeah. I'm speaking to someone who's not a Christian, I say that I uh, um, I kind of speak and write on the kind of the difficult faith questions of our oh, culture. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Mm. I feel that people can connect with questions or um, reasons, answers, that sort of thing. Love yeah, that. for sure. Yeah. So we've talked about who is and isn't asking this question about brain and identity, but... I guess behind that as well, we have to ask, why should we spend time on this question? What are we doing here today having a podcast about it? Exactly. Well, I think that um, as we've already kind of touched on, there are a lot of people in the sciences and in philosophy and beyond that have simply absorbed the view that the physical world is all that there is. Mm. And in terms of the human person, because the brain is so extraordinary and so advanced... It defines the person entirely. In other words, you are your brain, all of your um, thoughts, your personality, even your religious beliefs. They Mm. all come from the activity of your brain. And you've got very smart scientists saying this. People people like um, Francis Crick, famous for co-discovering the DNA double helix with James Watson, has also said that you are nothing but a pack of neurons. You know, your joys, sorrows, memories, ambitions, they're all neurons. It's all neuronal activity. Um, And people like the the late uh, Colin Blakemore, very famous neuroscientist, would say the human brain was a machine which alone determines everything about you. And so that requires a response. Is it true? Is this the best story that can be told about a human being, human identity, right. that you wow. are your brain? And and so my little pamphlet-sized book <laughs> called You Are, Am I Just My Brain? was yes, doing yeah. exactly that, trying to respond to this question, this belief, 
in in an accessible way that someone that um, wouldn't necessarily believe in God could pick up and read. That's amazing. And there isn't any kind of jargon in there that needs decoding. Mm. Um, so I tried to look at this question. Yeah. Wow. So what is the... What is the reasoning behind that? Why does it matter if we are just our brains, if we're just a kind of neuron-based machine? Yeah, mm. it matters um, very much, actually. Um, primarily around, well, there are lots of different reasons. One is around the area of free will. I mean, if we are just our brains, then everything about us is not coming from us. It's being driven from forces beyond our control. So we are just automatons at the whim of our neurons. Mm. Mm, that doesn't and sound fun. It doesn't sound fun. And so <laughs> everything you say, that's not actually Louise saying it. That's right. the brain of Louise causing you to spout words. Spout. But you spout. nonsense much of the time. Yeah, spout is accurate. Well, yeah. done. well done picking that up. <laughs> I didn't mean that in a pejorative way. Um, um, and so, um, yeah, it becomes impossible to say anything meaningful because yeah. how do you know that even your the very view that you are just your brain is itself being driven by forces beyond your control? Wow. And so it, it, it becomes impossible to say anything of meaning. And, of course, we don't live as though that is the case. We live as though... We are free beings. We fight for our rights. We don't just sit back and say, no, sorry, that was just my brain. Sure. Um, yeah. and, uh, and actually we fight for justice for other people and mm. we're seeing that all the time. And, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and of course the view that, that sits behind this is, is essentially you know, part of our response as, as um, people that want to put forward a more holistic view is to say that we don't just have a brain. Mm. We also have a mind, right? Okay. Um, so there's a like a physical stuff that we can and we're t looking at and we're talking about, but we're more than just the physical right. activity. Even if we've managed to explore and explain in the last hundred years some of this physical activity, yes, we're still more than that. Absolutely, yeah. much and more than and that. That's important. And the interesting thing is that you don't actually have to leave the neurosciences to mm. see that. There are right. all kinds of phenomena that tell you that you're more than just your brain. Sure. We can go yeah. into those if you want to. But. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, yeah, if we are more than our brains, well, what is the rest? I mean, aside from like my kidneys and my spine. Yes. And 400% water, I read once. 400%? Yes. yes. Yeah, some of us. Anyway. And the a lot and on that day. <laughs> the brain uses 20% of the body's energy despite only taking up 2% of its weight, which means that when you're thinking really hard, you're actually burning quite a lot of calories. So you can actually yeah. have that chocolate bar at oh, the end of that day. Excellent. Don't see it on many diet programmes, do you? Work. No. <laughs> and also think a lot, please. Yeah, think a lot and lose <laughs> yeah. weight. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Um, and so, well, there are all kinds of other ways of looking at it. People say, okay, well, maybe the brain generates the mind. Um, I mean, right. do you want me to go into a bit of detail on, on these positions? or Perhaps a little bit, just so we understand what the options yeah. are for how people do look at this. That's a good thought, yeah. So yeah. one view is that the brain generates the mind or like the mind emerges from the brain. So when mm. enough kind of building blocks come together, something new pops out of the the other side, as it were. A bit like a film is, it's got uh, 
a cast, it's got a soundtrack, it's got a camera crew, it's got um, it's got a director and, and so on. Um, but actually, you, you experience the film. You don't experience all those building blocks, you experience the whole thing sure, together. And yeah. so this view is saying, look, the building blocks of the brain generate the mind. But actually, um, you end up running into the same problem as the first view, which is that that doesn't explain what it is to be you. And this is mm. where the problem is. It's the mind-brain problem. How do you get from neurons to thoughts? How do you mm. get from the activity sitting inside your skull to what it's actually like to be you? Right. That is not yeah. trivial. That's not a straightforward thing no. at all. And even with your kind of film analogy there, even though it would be really complicated to pick apart all the pieces, there's still someone who had a vision to create that film. And we know where... Mm. that kind of image came yeah. from, right? Which is what we're not achieving with the mind. Yes, exactly. And so both these two views that, like, it's all brain activity or that the brain generates the mind still run into what's known as what David Chalmers called the hard problem of consciousness, which is that yes. how on yeah. earth do you get from neurons to what it's like to be you? Mm. And there's no straightforward answer to that. And of course, there are other views that say, well, look, there's an immaterial mind that interacts with the brain, and that's how you do it. And that's called substance dualism, that there's a, an immaterial uh, mind that interacts with the physical brain. Yeah. And there are some people that hold that view. Yeah. And then there's a view of panpsychism, which says everything is conscious, everything has a mind. Oh. So even the chairs that we are sitting on, the trees in the garden... And that tries to solve the problem by starting with mind okay. rather than starting yeah. with the brain. Start with mind and try mm. and build a bridge back. And this is a very interesting view, um, but it doesn't explain what's unique about human beings, that as you kind of climb the complexity sure. tree, yeah. Yeah. suddenly you have human beings. How do you explain the fact that we seem to have a different level of yeah. consciousness? Unless compared. the table is in currently incredibly offended that we're making that distinction. Or fulfilled. Or oh, fulfilled, yeah. yeah maybe, maybe. <laughs> it's like, look at you guys putting all your stuff on me. I feel, I feel so worthy. Yeah. I feel so fulfilled. I'm so happy. Anyone Table, involved. speak to us. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So how... Loads there. How would you see then this kind of... So there's a relationship between the brain and the mind. When we start thinking about this from a Christian perspective, how yeah. are we involving things like soul and spirit? And like, mm. how does this all kind yes. of fit together? Yes. Yeah. Well, when people think about the soul, very often they think of some sort of floaty, ghosty thing that happens to sort of sit somewhere near your physical body for now. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And, but one day will sort of float off to heaven to be with God. Right. And, and actually, I think a lot of Christians, that is kind of their view of mm. who they are and what heaven actually is. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but actually, that, that view is um, more similar to the views of Plato than to a, a Christian or a Hebrew notion of soul. Sure. The Hebrew notion of soul is actually much more integrated, like the, the psalmist says, praise the Lord, my soul. Right. He's yeah. not saying this kind of immaterial ghosty part of me, praise the Lord. Yeah. He's actually Muscle saying... Stay out of it. Right. He's <laughs> actually, it's an so, expression of extent. Oh, yeah. And so the, the Hebrew um, notion of soul is holistic, gotcha. mm. that we yeah. are integrated physical and spiritual beings. Mm. And that will also be the case 
uh, beyond death in the life to come and in sure. the new heaven and new earth. How do we mm. know that? Because Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And he actually, people thought he was a ghost, but he said, I'm not here, I'm going to eat some fish, it's going to disappear, and yeah. you're not going to see it. And it didn't help, though, when he walked through a wall, did it? Well, it was a bit, yeah. you know. It's like, oh, he's not a ghost. Oh, he is again, look, he's walked through a wall. Help us out, Jesus. <laughs> I know, and the, the extraordinary thing is that we're told that there will be both a continuity and a discontinuity yeah. between the bodies that we have now and the bodies we will have on Very the other good. side. Yeah, and yeah, so... Yeah. And that's kind of exciting, and that's not possible to really box in and say, right, I've got that one sorted. Yeah, um, no chance. Um, yeah, so how did I get onto this? I think we were on... Oh, we had a nice meander, though, didn't we? We did. We did. I think it's just yeah. a general idea of sitting this stuff with theology or, or yes. understanding of God, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and so um, where, where it kind of all lands is that people think it's a foregone conclusion that, mm. that we have got kind of consciousness nailed and we know exactly... Mm how it relates but what the science tells you is the mind and brain are connected but there's nothing about the scientific data that tells you about the nature of that connection and actually I, I'm not even sure that the sciences can tell us that mm. all it says yeah. is look when you use your mind in whatever way like us now sitting here recording this radio mm. program our brain is going crazy at the same time. And yeah. those areas and networks in the brain are related to the use of our mind. Mm. But the nature of that interaction is not something that science can get at. Um, and, that's, and that's why we actually need to realise when we step outside of what science can tell us and we've stepped into the realm of philosophy or theology and we're yeah. trying to interpret how and make sense of how those two things might interact. Mm. But the sciences have not, drawn a line under yeah. it and established, yes, it's all brain activity. It goes back to episode one, doesn't it, really, when we're talking to Hugh about the whole thing and whys and hows. And, yeah. and yes. we get but we discover loads and how we do how this, how that. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes people chuck a why on that. Well but it's a, it's a new how. Yeah. And that's what where I would come to with the question about how does kind of belief in God help this whole conversation. Mm. And that is to say that even if we come up with a really amazing kind of neuroscience of consciousness, there are still some questions that mm. that science can't answer and was never intended to answer. Questions right. like the one I asked, uh, the kind of answer I was given at that Gorilla Christian event, that there are, you know, there's the Bill Gates and there's the programming languages side of it. And then on this topic, there's the question of, well, okay, why can we think at all? Mm, okay. Why, <laughs> yeah. why are we conscious beings at all? And no yeah. scientific study is going to give you an answer to that question. There are some questions that we have that are really important, but we need to go beyond the boundaries of science for answers to them. This is and, fascinating. You know, here's the thing. If God does not exist, we are in a universe that is not conscious Mm. It is a universe of time plus matter plus chance. Mm. Yeah. And so, somehow we find ourselves to be conscious beings inside of this universe. Wow. Right. Now, of course, that's not impossible, but it's a bit surprising, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. But if God exists, then in a sense, you might expect conscious beings to arise because God is a conscious being, and before anything material was made, God existed mm. in a conscious, loving community of Father and Son 
and Holy Spirit. And so uh, conscious beings are a natural outworking of the starting ingredients being consciousness itself. And, yeah. and so my question to those that are thinking about this is, you know, what is the, not that I'm saying we've got all of the answers here, but what is the best explanation for why we can think at all? Mm. Is it that we accidentally have arisen in a non-conscious universe yeah. of matter or is it because consciousness has undergirded the cosmos right from the beginning in the yeah. person of god this big and uh, just to bring it back to um seven-year-old me with no intention to be scientific or gifting I was curious though i remember walking along and i grew up in a non-christian household became a christian um at the end of secondary school um but i do remember once looking at road lamps and thinking gosh we've popped those in haven't we and then I just had this whole kind of existential moment at seven, just going, we've popped those in for the roads that we've made and the cars that we've built to be able to have a community that we live in. Yeah. We've created and thought and yeah. consciously done this stuff. Yeah. And um, I just remember at that point, not having a faith, but going, hmm, I wonder what's out there and where this sparks from. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fascinating, isn't it? And we often try and dumbed down questions for young children they're often yeah. thinking quite profound things yeah. about the world and the universe <laughs> yeah, definitely definitely i actually have a, a vivid memory of i don't remember my exact age but i was somewhere around between nine and twelve i reckon i was mm. a bit bored on a sunday afternoon it was raining as it often does in the <laughs> uk and um i was looking out of the window and I, suddenly the thought came to me why why can i think yeah. Why am I conscious? Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm conscious. Mm. Why? Yes. Why is that? And um, that's a really vivid memory for me, one of my most vivid childhood conscious memories. Conscious powerful, isn't it? It is. Some people are asking on Sunday afternoon, why am I conscious after a big Friday, Friday Saturday night? But, but, uh, but that wasn't your case. They're probably not conscious at that point. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they're in an altered state of consciousness, which is... <laughs> Very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... To be devil's advocate just a little bit, this concept is, it's quite neat, isn't it? It's very nice to have this idea of, okay, if God is mind, then it would explain why there mm. is kind of a mind shape to us and, and things that yeah. he's created, like, that his reality would shape his art, as it were. Um, but to what extent might we be concerned that that's a God of the gaps argument? So we don't have an explanation, so we're just going to put God in here and that's nice and neat and that'll be fine. But then what happens if science does come up with something? Yeah. So I, I don't think I've put forward a God of the gaps. I think <laughs> I've put forward mm. that there are questions that we have that science can answer mm. very elegantly and I hope that we can mm. come up with a brilliant and elegant neuroscience of human consciousness. But there are always questions that science cannot answer. Mm. Questions like, why can we think at all? There is no laboratory study that you can do to get to the answer of that question. And it's not that there's, uh, uh, we're trying to sort of put God into the bits we don't understand. Actually, we do want to understand scientifically the things mm. that lie within the realm of science. But there are many things that lie outside of the realm of science. And for those, we need philosophy, we need theology, mm. we need ethics, you know, we need all of these other things. And, and that's the thing to say on this topic that we often, 
when we just chalk human beings down to the neurons in their head, we're, we're offering quite a diminished view of a human being. Mm. But we only need to look around us, look at our own lives, look at people in hospital wards to see that humans are way more complex yeah. than just their brains. And we can't just look through this one lens and try and understand the whole of reality through it. Actually, we need a holistic view of life and of people. And that is the way that best dignifies them as well. I mean, the very real kind of coal face of this, as you've already shared, Louise, is, mm. you know, what do you do when your brain degenerates or is damaged through trauma? If you are just your brain, then you are changed. Or if you've got Alzheimer's or dementia, you gradually fade away to nothing. But if there's more to you than just your brain, then actually there's a you that remains, even though your brain is not quite what it was. And that actually is the basis for dignity. It's the basis for extremely good care of the elderly and palliative care. Um, and so it really matters actually what mm. you uh, say to this question and the answer that you might give. Super profound moment. Incredibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah very good. And I don't, think, I don't think any of us want to view people as lesser people for having brains that don't do what ours might. Mm, that would, that's true, yes. That would not be okay. Well, I mean, you and I hosting this with all the kind of intelligent people coming on already. <laughs> <I know. laughs> already Quite. We're like, mm, hope we still have value. You're yeah. right, though. Dignity, such a great point you make. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And so what also would you say to uh, people who would say that we're just kind of hardwired to have a God space in our brain, so we've found a way to fill it? Mm. Yes. Well, so, I, I mean, there is the observation out there, and actually you've already touched on this um, by saying that, uh, you know, as a seven-year-old, you're walking along and, sure. and looking at the lamppost, and that caused kind of profound questions. There's the view out there, actually, that children find it... Uh, it's actually very intuitive that there would be a God or an mm. afterlife, that they would have a, a soul or that there'd be more than just yeah, yeah. this world. And that it seems, you know, and so there are cognitive scientists of religion that say, look, we are actually born with a very intuitive sense of the divine. Right. And it's actually life and culture and scepticism that gradually erodes that wow. through wow. life, leading to all kinds of other beliefs that people have. Mm. And so they say, you know, in a sense that is it, is it the case that, that religious belief is a natural phenomenon? Um, but then some people try and sort of explain that um, by saying, look, we've got this thing called a, a hyperactive agency detection device that we... I mean, just the name of that. I feel yeah. like I'm in a Marvel film. <laughs> 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 exactly. That we actually, you know, we just pick up signals all the time from the world and we... And we kind of get it wrong quite a lot of the time and that actually we believe things that aren't there and uh, we imagine things that aren't real. I've got a, a childhood story of um, going to the loo in the middle of the night and um, and seeing a, a what I thought was a black cat in the corner of the room and I sort of screamed and went into my parents. And we don't own a cat, but uh, for some reason I thought there was a cat in the loo. And, you know, it's things like that. You kind yeah. of get spooked by mm. things that aren't actually there, but you've got this hyperactive agency detection device that kind of... Um, the brain is amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. But then there's some sort of thoughtful people that say, look, um, you maybe occasionally do make errors, but most of the time you can trust your intuitions. Sure. 
actually, um, once yeah. you turn the light on, you realise it's not a cat, it's a toilet brush. And, um, <laughs> that and you've been feeding all this time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Setting out the cat litter for it. And, yeah, so I had a troubled childhood. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the subject of another radio programme. <laughs> that's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yes, and so you can trust your intuitions. And that's another way of looking at people holistically, that mm. we have intuition, we have imagination, we have creativity. And someone um, called Ian McGilchrist, who I talked to recently, and he makes the point, we don't need to kind of ignore these things. These are things we can bring to reality. They don't mm. take us away from reality. They help love us yeah. understand yeah. it. love that. Yeah. yeah. Which is the basis for what you're doing Bringing some life and kind of humour to all of these they can sit together, right? pretty dry topics, you know, <laughs> trying to make it kind of inspiring and interesting. I think that's a really good aim. Yeah, we try. <laughs> we try. And on that lovely compliment, mm. I think we'll pay you a lovely compliment also. Oh. That it's been wonderful to have you and just to try and get inside how you're thinking about these things yes. and change our perspective has been fantastic. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'll add a, pretty I, much done, except Andy has compliments as well. Sorry, I? no, I crashed you there, <laughs> crashed you as you were saying, bringing it in. That was just another compliment, really. Uh, the Bill Gates language coding thing, I've never heard that you are, you have got a gift, and because that is brilliantly uh, articulated, I have to say, and I've not heard it done that simply before you may have done Lou I'm not sure but Ooh, I just by Sharon on other occasions but yeah. <laughs> oh really well just fantastic because yeah we, we, the tyranny of awe the beauty of and you know in that moment which yeah. is good so yeah great work wonderful listening to you taking complex things and just bringing them to I'll say my level you know and that's super helpful and a gift so yeah I've really enjoyed being with you oh I've really enjoyed it as well thank you so much thank you Thanks for joining us. If you want to hear more of Sharon, we have an archive live stream of her Science and Faith in the Second City talk, which I'll put in the show notes along with details of her books. Coming up is another Science and Faith in the Second City event, this time with Reverend Professor John Swinton, called My Mental Health and Spirituality. He is a real expert on both, so don't miss it. You can book tickets or register for the live stream at scienceandfaith.co.uk. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at nowthereisathought at gmail.com or follow at nowtheresathought on Instagram, which looks exactly like now Teresa Thought, but that's just a happy coincidence. Although if your name is Teresa and you'd like to share your thoughts on the podcast and help us live up to our Instagram handle, please do get in touch. Finally, do subscribe to this podcast channel for future trips to the Thought Bar and rate and review this podcast. It really helps us. Tell your friends if you enjoy the podcast, but not if you don't. That's no help. <laughs>